Perspective this week is the Legco Hustings Part 2. Manx Radio recorded the meeting organised by the Liberal Vannon Party a few weeks ago and with the Legco elections just days away we hear for the final time the thoughts and views of the MLC hopefuls. There are some cracking questions and one or two surprising answers so well worth a listen. There were ten candidates at the Hustings with David Prichter unable to attend due to a prior engagement. So who's got the next question for the candidates? Hi, my name is Kira Sowerby. Um, do you think that the Legislative Council should be elected by the public? You vote in Timwald and sit in committees, so would you say that a true democracy, all chambers of our, legislature, of our legislature, would be appointed directly by the electorate and not indirectly by MHKs? If so, how important would you th- expect the role of political parties to be in potential, potential LegCo elections? Which party would you vote for if we had a political system identical to the UK's? Wow. <laughs> There's some uh, tricksy questioning. Um, so first, to answer that question, is Gary Cluett. A simplistic answer to a very complex problem? No, I don't. Um, from a bioethics point of view, primum non nocere, first do no harm. First question is, what problem are you trying to solve? Okay. More democracy sounds great, but in a lot of respects, it's sort of a vacuous soundbite. Um, where's the pan- public mandate for change? Um, does, the process, do, does the public have any idea what an MLC does? Do they have any idea what an MHK does? Um, it's unlikely. Um, it's not undemocratic. Undem- um, you require 50% plus one of MHKs to vote for you, which the MHKs have a public mandate to govern, mm-hmm. all right, um, from the from the entire island. Indirect elections and appointments are common in all democracies. And I noticed, Gary, you didn't answer the question about political parties. Um, and you aren't going to now either. Okay, Tan- Tanya, uh, Tanya August Hansen. Okay, well, um, essentially, um, I, again, um, you know, the political parties are all about policy making. Um, as an, uh, a legislative council member, I don't really feel that that's particularly our place. Thankfully, the Island Man is not the UK, and um, also Timor members are typically independent members. We only have two um, Labour um, members in Parliament. Um, I think it's quite different, the difference between... Uh, there is a d- great difference between MHKs and MLCs. Um, and also, um, regarding whether or not we should be publicly elected, that is up to the directly elected branch. If they choose that, then I would still go up for a legislative council seat. Uh, next, Peter Reid. Well, I guess I, I think we've been indirectly um, already voted for by the public in that you voted for the MHKs. So if they nominate uh, people and then we go through the process we're going through, I actually think that is a good process personally. So I, I do favour that. Um, in terms of the political parties, I don't think I'd vote for anybody in the UK at the moment. I mean, I used to vote Conservative, but it's been so bad in the last three or four years, the sleaze and the scandal and all the rest of it. I, I, I genuinely would struggle to vote for any of them. And, you know, that's, that's the honest, honest answer. OK, uh, thanks for that, Peter. Um, Dawn Kinnish, um, are you a political party animal? <laughs> I'll answer that at the end. Um, um, in terms of um, not being directly uh, voted, Kira, I um, I understand people's concern around that. What I would say is that 
Um, there is a particular skill set that is required for this role and it's really important that those skills are assessed as being suitable for the role. Um, and I think sometimes, uh, you know, no disrespect to the public, but if you're a good salesperson, you might get that role, but you might not actually have the skill set behind it. So that would be my only concern if, uh, if there was to be some sort of constitutional reform towards that. Uh, which party would I vote for? Uh, I, I, 25 years ago, I did live in the UK. Um, I think I've gone through two general elections and I've swung uh, from Conservative to Labour. Uh, would I vote the same again now? Who knows? Because uh, I think I agree with uh, one of the, uh, the part panel has said along here. Uh, the whole thing looks a mess. Brian Brumby, you're the, the next to answer this uh, question. I'm reasonably relaxed with the current system. Um, I think it's improved over the over the years. There, there has been criticism of the MHKs, and MHKs have taken that on board. It's, it's not so much a retirement home for failed MHKs now. Um, if if you move to a public voting, you you would basically have 32 MHKs, and and the MHKs actually have a need to choose the right people for these roles because ultimately we'll be working with them to de deliver policy legislation etc having said that if somebody came through with an alternative i would certainly review and look at it and make a further decision later on as far as political alliance i um, i would say i'm slightly right of center now that could be conservative or it could be a blair type labor so that's where I am, the, concert, the parties move around me. Uh, Marie Bertels next. I agree with the way uh, that nominations have come through for the MLCs. Um, I, I strongly believe that the MHKs are nominated by the constituents and that the constituents put their trust in the MHKs to make important decisions. And I think this is a really important decision. Um, if it was to change and it was to be like the MHKs nominated in that way, like Tanya, I would still put myself forward. And you still got time to answer which political party you would vote for? Um, I've never been really involved in, in politics um, and I've never been part of any party and I don't intend, you know, getting involved in any parties. Okay, thanks for that, Marie. Uh, next is Kerry Jenkins. Okay, I'll deal with the tricky question first. Um, I don't believe that the role of MLC should be um, have any policy. So I'm coming from the starting point that um, the MLC should be completely independent and look at every um, decision or um, with a with a clear head and no party politics. Um, as, as to the election process, no, I'm not happy with it. Um, I've read the Liz Vane report, and the one thing that um, hasn't been put in place is um, the nominations committee. And I personally find that this experience, it is a case of um, having to find four people that are willing to um, nominate you. Now, I, I have... Um, over the years, you know, put it, put into um, a select committee, which which was about cronyism in 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 um, 
planning. And I feel that this is, and Phil's going to take it off me now, that um, we need to have a different system for actually coming up with the nominations. Next is Connor Keenan. Thank you. Um, I'll try and race through a lot of stuff as well. Um, I would call everybody in this room politically engaged and, and similar to, I can't remember who was mentioned before, is this a real question if I was to go down Strand Street tomorrow, how many people would, would bring this topic up? Um, I don't think it'd be that many, so I, I think it's only a question really for politically engaged people. Um, there are good reasons as to why the system is as it is. I think at the moment it allows MHKs to fill in gaps within knowledge and skill sets and things like that within the wider Timwald family. Um, I think if it was publicly elected, there is potential to cause a, a competing policy mandate, if you like. Um, I don't feel any MHK, uh, sorry, any, any MLC would have any political mandate as such. But I think if it was a politically, if it was a publicly elected position, there would be potential to cause that. Um, in terms of the political party debate. I'm quite centrist by nature. I might be slightly left-leaning on one issue. I might be slightly right-leaning on another issue. Um, I generally look at issues with sort of pragmatism as, as and when they arise and, and fall one side or the other. In terms of the party issue, I think when you look at the UK, I think it sometimes causes a bit of a bluntness in debate. You're either for or against something, whereas I think the, the kind of system of independence that Thanks, he has at uh, the moment... Thanks, Connor. Um, sadly, we're, we're going to have to cut you off just as you were about to... Leads well, to a nice nuanced discussion. <laughs> <laughs> um, next on our list is Diane Kelsey. It's a, it's, a, it's a difficult one because if we were voted for by the public across the Isle of Man and there's eight elected members, does that mean that we would have 10,000 votes each and therefore what's our mandate compared to our colleagues in, in the House of Keys? So that's my, own, that's my fundamental problem with the how, how we'd go about it. I do agree that the nominations process could be uh, a, a lot, lot sharper. I also believe that the MHKs are voted by members of the public. And if any members of the public don't like what any of us are saying tonight, then you can speak to your MHKs or any MHK on the Isle of Man. So there is an access that, you, that we have here that we perhaps wouldn't have otherwise. So you can have an influence um, if, if you choose to do so. As far as my um, political parties, if I was in England, um, I have to admit, I live near Whitney, so I did vote for David Cameron once, but I, I would vote for who, whoever is the most suitable person locally. Finally, Paul Crane. Thank you. Um, thank you for the question. Yes, I think it's an interesting question. I think that if you tried to follow this through and imagine that the um, Legislative Council were being elected by in popular elections, Given the current role of Legislative Council, what would the manifestos contain? Because my manifesto couldn't contain policies that I was trying to persuade you to support me with. So the, the manifesto would have to be about um, my skills at, at, at analysis and, and scrutiny, former experiences and Ofsted expectancy, things like that. It, 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 it's not the sort of thing that's going to capture the imagination in my mind. So. I can't see the day coming when the, the Legislative Council's existing role would work in, in an election. You know, it just, it, it just doesn't fit that purpose, really. Um, as for political parties, um, I've never been a, a member of a political party um, within an Isle of Man. I, I would not want to see political decisions polarised between just two parties. So, so I guess that's a, an, an open end, really. Thank you. 
some excellent um, sitting on the fence answers uh, from the panel, um, or some of the panel. Some, some were, were quite straight with you, uh, others perhaps a little bit more cagey. There was a gentleman who had a question over in the, in the far corner. Thanks very much. Um, politics again. My name's Mike. Hi, nice to meet you. Politics again, really. Um, we've discussed the energy bill, um, and we've obviously discussed your role um, in, the, in terms of scrutinising uh, scrutinizing, scrutinizing legislation. So when it comes before you, will that include or exclude Kroger? Do you believe that we should extract the gas if, if it's possible to extract it, or uh, do you think the gas should be left in the ground? And to start with, uh, Kiri Jenkins. That's typical, Mike. Thanks for that. <laughs> um, I've got a very pragmatic view on this. Um, first of all, it's it's a moot point, isn't it? Because it's already been decided, and they're all going, or they're already going to see if they can extract the gas, at, and th if it will flow at commercial levels. So I see the 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 role of the MLCs to make sure that the transition to um, you know a low carbon environment is what would the benefit that we're going to get out of that. Um, you know, we can um, debate all we like, but we can't change what's actually happening now. And so um, scrutinising it, making sure that, um, that it's used in the right way uh, for the benefit of the people, I see that as the role now of um, our government. Next, uh, Connor uh, Keenan. Thank you. Um, yeah, I'm obviously keen to to explore re renewables to, to the, the maximum extent. Um, I think obviously the Climate Act commits us to that as well by 2050. Um, I think at the moment, we've, the way, the, the polarising opinions within Keys and Timwald at the moment, you're never going to get unanimity across that. And I think we've a ended up with a happy medium almost, a, a happy, yeah, possibly not the right term, but happy medium of uh, commitment to explore, but equally we have to protect energy security as of today. The, the renewable infrastructure just isn't there at the moment. Um, I think Kroger themselves have realised that they have to promote a renewable strategy as well with their commitments to invest in renewable on Ireland also. So I'm certainly keen ultimately to get to that renewable point. I don't think we're there yet. And it, it, is, a, it is, as I've mentioned, a, a balancing act with the future coupled with energy security as of tomorrow. Diane Kelsey next. Thanks. Um, my position on, on Kroger hasn't actually changed. It feels like it's just too late. However, I'm really keen to see what they are managed to achieve this year and I'm generally looking forward to, to see what comes out hopefully uh, at the end of this year. What we haven't done though is to start um, as an island, so this isn't necessary policy as a politician but as an island start really in, uh, um, embracing um, sustainable energy and actually even if there is gas and it is at the right uh, rate we're still going to need sustainable and green other, other forms of energy so I'm really really keen that the Isle of Man businesses you know anybody who can get involved that we actually start looking at how we can start getting uh, on a more sustainable footing with or without gas in the Irish Sea. Um, Paul Crane, uh, are you a, a Kroger fan? 
Uh, thank you. Um, I think the position of Kroger is often misunderstood. Kroger have a license, okay, that's, that has been granted to them. They need to keep to the condition of the stages, so that includes 3D seismic testing and environmental impact assessment, but they've got the license. Timwald has agreed there'll be no further licenses beyond that. It seems increasingly un unlikely that any Irish sea gas will actually land in the Isle of Man at any stage. Um, it'll not make us energy independent. It, it cannot be used as a transition fuel. We transitioned into gas in 2003. But the bigger picture in this is that investment in net zero today will be cheaper than delaying. The, the net zero transformation has been described as the industrial revolution of the 21st century. Um, analysis suggests delaying action by 10 years could mean double the cost of moving into renewables. And we've got uh, uh, plans now in place for 30 megawatts of on-island um, uh, renewables. We've got to get our emissions down by 35% by 2030, and we've got a promise to be carbon neutral in electricity by 2030. So Thanks, we're well Paul. on the way. Um, Gary Clewitt, thank uh, you. Next. I believe... It flies in the face of the climate, climate change bill and various other things. It's too little, too late. Um, my real concern, though, there's, there's the issue of the environment, but the other concern I have is the impact and the potential cost to the Manx taxpayer down the road when they don't find what they're looking for or they find what they're looking for and it runs out. And at the end of life, who's going to clean up the mess? Because no matter what arrangement you come to with the government in terms of, yeah, we'll take responsibility for clean-up clean at the end, companies that do that, they just put themselves into administration and walk away and leave the taxpayer um, with, with the remainings. Um, there's the reputational damage to the island um, in terms of now going to, to, to you know, extract gas. Uh, there are companies big companies that we would like to move to the island that take environmental issues very seriously. And it's just, it's another barrier. Thank you. Okay, thanks, uh, Gary. And uh, next is Tanya. Um, I voted against there being any um, future um, licensing in Timwald um, for a reason. Um, it's already been decided. The license has already been granted. Um, there is an awful lot of legislation that needs to be brought um, between DOI, um, the Department of Infrastructure, and the Department of Environment, Food and Agriculture, um, as well collaboratively in order for, um, you know, some of this to actually work particularly well, and particularly the update to the Petroleum Act as well. That needs considerable update in order for this to work. Um, so I think from a sort of a legislative perspective, there's an awful lot of work to do. Um, it, it sort of... Um, you know, that, that work needs doing first. You need to put the, the foundations down before you actually um, get anything done. I don't know how long that's going to take. It'll probably take a considerable time in order for that to go through. It'll take an awful lot of resource as well and policy um, offices, which we don't have um, a great deal of. Next, it's uh, Peter Reid. Well, I've actually been to speak to the geologist and also the, um, the MD of, of Kroger and uh, because I've been hearing so much about it that things are going to get shipped off to um, the UK mainland and we won't even see it and, you know, it's going to have a massive environmental impact. Um, at this point in time, um, until the flow tests actually have been done, we don't know if there is an amount of gas there that they're saying, which is, what, 29 years of gas that could produce 150 to 250 million pounds worth of income for the Isle of Man. 
Now, I think, you know, until that point, um, it's a bit of a sterile debate because, you know, let's see if there is some there. And if there is, then let's have a debate about it in the island and let's decide what to do. It doesn't make any sense to me um, to be machinating over it in the, in, the, in the meantime. There will be an awful lot of legislation that will be needed. And, you know, that, that is, has been actually put in place in the UK already. So there is a, a model already there in place. Don Kinnish, um, are you a, a, a Kruger fan? Well, I could be looking at it from my uh, <laughs> front window. Um, I, I think it's Im important, as people have said already, to recognise that the licence has been granted and it's a case now of ensuring that all the terms of that licence um, are complied with. Um, whether there's gas there or not, I think we are on a renewable journey and I think most people will support that, but the infrastructure just isn't there at this moment in time. I've invested time in my son to make sure he's a renewable energy electrician because I can see that's going to be a future vocation for him. Um, but I think if there is gas there, I, we won't be in a position to turn around and say, no, you can't have that gas. We have to consider international treaties um, alongside the licence. I think Brian Brumby is, is next. If the, if the situation arises and it's proven that there's gas there that can be taken profitably for the benefit of the island, I would say yes with caveats on that. Um, I'd, as I've said previously, I'm a big fan of green energy, but I don't see how that is going to be delivered on island um, at the moment. I think we should follow what Norway have done, one of the biggest reserves of oil and gas in the North Sea, but they themselves have spent the profits and the income from that converting themselves to hydroelectric. Okay, we can't do that, but a green energy, and they're one of the greenest countries going now. So, and as I say, if we don't have the income from the gas with a budget, this, well, official figures last year of uh, 77 million, uh, drawn down out of reserves, predicted forward 150 million this next budget. I don't see how we're going to progress forward. Uh, Marie Bertels. I agree with the licence and that we should look into if, if it is available. Um, I think that we have to consider the environment and if there's going to be a detrimental effect on the environment. Um, I also think we need to look at costs. But if it's going to improve the island and make it more self-sufficient, then that's got to be a good thing. Um, the only reservation I have is I wouldn't like to see what happened with the incinerator happen again. When I first came to the island 20 years ago, I was told, oh, within five years, you're not going to be paying for electricity, to then, a few years later, find out there were massive, massive debts outstanding, and we're still in a position now where um, it's not of benefit to the residents of the island. Thank you. Roger Tomlinson. I'd like to go back the question before last about the democratic imperative. Do you think that a bishop should automatically sit in our parliament? And if so, what is the reason that you give that answer? So first to answer that question will be Paul Crane. Thank you. Um, I, I'm relatively, as a, as, a, as a lifelong Methodist, I'm relatively open-minded about the role of specifically of a bishop. But um, broadly, I would welcome the idea that in, in a community that has 
one of the largest groups on the island, perhaps those who are linked to our churches, not necessarily regular tenders, but those who are on, on the, uh, the roles of church communities, um, they may not be represented in other ways. So there may be some value in having the bishop there. But I also think that the bishops we have encountered over recent years have been um, hugely thoughtful contributors, you know. There would be an alternative, perhaps, of, of getting them to stand for legislative council and see how, how they get on, you know, putting themselves forward like that. But um, I, I think broadly we get good value for money out of our bishops. We get some wisdom, some, some sensible words, um, non-political, but uh, very much uh, along the lines of legislative council's role. Thank you. Uh, Gary Cluett, are you a fan of the bishop? Don't know him, nothing against him personally, but I'm a firm believer in absolute separation of church and state. Um, that's all I have to say, thank you. Okay, um, short and sweet. Uh, we might get some extra questions in if, if we keep this up. Um, Tanya. Um, I'd um, agree with, with Mr. Crane that, that the bishop that we have currently in place has actually made some really great contributions, both in Timwald and also in Legislative Council, um, and very thoughtful contributions as well on, on moral points. However, I would also um, sort of agree if, if there was some form of a system where we could actually have all groups represented on the island, including um, atheists, including um, our Muslim community, including like so that we can actually sort of get people better represented. I think some of these groups are much bigger than perhaps they were before, and I think it's it's very very important that our parliament reflects them and their their ideolo ideological um, positions. Uh, Peter Reid, um, <coughs> I, I actually think it's a good thing to have the bishop on the uh, on the council because if I look at it um, from a moral point of view. Um, it is a more independent view, and it's it's somebody that can take a step back out of everything, um, with, with a with probably a high moral code, at, and actually look at things in a in a way that maybe not all of us do. So I, I personally do think it adds real value, and I, I would I, I support the the fact that it's on there. Dawn. Kinnish. Thank you. Um, I think uh, the island, the, the census showed uh, a decreasing number of people of Christian denomination uh, in the last census, um, but it's still the significant um, religious denomination on this island. So it certainly is uh, reflective of our population. Um, I think uh, the bishop probably be, it does bring wisdom and moral compass. So save for uh, his uh, own religious views, I do think that in itself would, does bring some impartiality in, uh, to the role. Brian Brumby. I'm not a very religious person to uh, answer your questions. I attend church for uh, weddings and funerals and, that, and that's about it. And Christmas Eve sometimes. But um, the bishop in there is just representing one one religion, and as we know, it's a multicultural society nowadays. And I think it's up to the MLCs and OHKs to consult with a whole range of different religions. And uh, but to have the bishop there directly involved in Keys and Timwald. Um, yeah, the, the saying is that religion shouldn't be involved in politics or sport. Uh, okay, um, Marie Bertels then. Do you think the bishop should have a place in LegCo, and if so, why? I definitely think there is a place for the bishop. I think that, uh, like the other members have, have mentioned, that from the moral aspect, um, I, but I, then I also agree that 
religion shouldn't be mixed with politics. So I'm sort of on the fence. I also agree that if the bishop has an input, then other parties should also. Uh, Kerry Jenkins, how do you stand on this? I think Roger knows my views on this. Um, I don't agree that the bishop has a vote. Um, I can understand, um, you know, from moral input, um, but I think the key for me was in the Lisbane report where the bishop asked if he could have um, the right to abstain. And that, to me, shows that the bishop wants to dip in and out of politics. And for me, that's a, a no. Connor, uh, Connor Keenan. Thank you. Um, lots of my points, I think, have been taken. Um, I think the bishop, current bishop has made some good contribution to debates. I think in, in debates when people are voting from maybe a department position, a financial position, a manifesto pledge, I think to have one voice in 33 representing moral and philosophical perspective um, is not necessarily a bad thing. Whether or not that should extend to a vote, I think, is a different question. Um, within that, I think that decision should be made by the Isle of Man. I believe there was a discussion where the diocese actually threatened to withdraw the position if the vote was taken away, and I don't think that's something that should be determined by the diocese. That should be determined by, by us on Ireland. Um, in terms of the ex officio positions, from a personal perspective, I've actually got more of an issue with the, the Attorney General uh, as, as a sitting Legislative Council member rather than the Bishop. The last to answer this question is Diane Kelsey. Thank you. Really good question. It's quite a, quite a difficult um, moral dilemma. I really do value, I'm, not, I'm an atheist, I really do value the um, uh, Bishop's involvement. There is something quite... And, and, and my colleagues are going to laugh at me now, but quite calming about his, his influence. There is something that is, I think, keeps us grounded. I, I think the difficult problem we have is whether, by right, anyone gets a vote when there's no election whatsoever. And I think that would be down to the people of the Isle of Man and, and probably um, the keys rather than people in LegCo making those decisions. But I definitely value the bishop's presence um, at the moment when we sit. It's, there's something quite unique about it. But is it right? I don't know. Thank you. Uh, John Wannenberg. Could I have a single word answer? Would you have approved the budget this week or not? Yes, you would. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> Interesting question. Um, we're looking for brevity, so Connor Keenan. Thank you, uh, Mr. Warrenberg. I do love these questions of yours. Um, I would have inv I would have voted in favour of the budget. Diane Kelsey. Yes. I suppose it's a bit of an easy question for the sitting <laughs> candidates to to answer because they they obviously uh, are on record. Um, next, Paul Crane. Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> Gary Cluett? Yes. <coughs> okay, we are getting very brief answers here. Uh, Tanya? Already have. <laughs> yes. Peter Reid? Yes, I would have voted. Yes. Dawn Kinnish? Yes. Okay, Brian Brumby? Yeah, th this year, yes. Going forward, maybe not. Uh, Marie Bertels? It's a yes from me. And finally, Kerry Jenkins? I'm tempted to say no, John, because <laughs> I know you're the only one that said no. Um, because there is not an option to ch pick and choose what you want from the budget, I would have voted yes. Thank you, Claire Christian, MHK. Um, uh, if you are successful to become um, an MLC in the election, you will become also a backbencher 
Um, part of that role is to hold a government to account, hold executive to account. What will you do in your first six months to achieve that? First, to answer that question, and she may have worked this out, is Diane Kelsey. Thanks, Claire. Um, holding the government to account. Well, that's where we, ha we have to play our role in understanding what they're coming forward with and challenging and questioning. So what would I do in the first six months? If there was something that came forward for many of the departments um, that I felt just was wrong, and this doesn't have to be legislation, just um, it could be a document, one of the departmental plans, then I would challenge them, and, and I wouldn't be frightened to challenge them. Now, I'm not known for my orotations in Timwald, um, but actually, it, to me, that, that's not the major role that I would play. It would be challenging people and saying, why, why is this written in the way it's written? Why are you saying what you're doing? But if I can support it and I can understand it, then I would do, because I do believe that's our role. But I would, it would have to be something from, from the heart. I, I, I would challenge if I needed to. And I'm guessing uh, we, we also know how Paul Crane might answer this question, having served six months uh, and more already. Yeah, thank you. Um, thank you for the question, Claire. Um, it, it's a good one because having served 15 months, you have the feeling that uh, if, if you got back in, you'd need to be ready to run now. You know that, that you, you've, you've served your time, as it were. Now you have to be delivering. I think in Timwald, I would ask more questions. I've just had one written question so far. I'm up for a change there. I'm feeling more confident in scrutinising legislation, having had amendments going through. And I feel that I would like to work more collaboratively, and, and that's perhaps important from a, from a backbench perspective. I don't mean creating a, a party within the system, but just having a greater awareness of what others are, are, are troubled about, concerned about, what you might contribute to, and how you might to work, work together with them. But um, more than anything, just maintaining the, uh, the level of scrutiny of policy coming through, of legislation coming through, debates in Timwell, being there and, and, and being up for making a, a, a meaningful contribution. Thank you. Thanks, Paul. Uh, Gary Cluett. Dealing with government expenditure, um, I can understand why people agreed with the voting against the budget, and I can understand why Mr. Wannenberg voted against it. Um, one of the things that concerns me is the depletion of the reserves. Uh, once they've gone, then what? Um, and it troubles me greatly the, that the amount, the irresponsible levels of debt that we are passing on to our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren, and we can't continue to do that. So I understand giving Dr. Allison the benefit of the doubt this time around, but it can't happen again. There has to be more accountability. You know, we have to look at things, whether it's raising taxes, cutting um, size of the public sector, um, and things like that. We don't have any option. We have to do that. We have to keep our eye on the ball. Okay, thanks, uh, Gary. Uh, next on the list is Tanya. Um, probably um, continue doing um, what I've been doing over the course of the last five years. I mean, we've had an awful lot 
um, that's been going on, but that particularly over the course of COVID as well, and the sheer degree of like you know um, regulatory regulations that were coming through, having to turn those over at quite a fast pace. There was an awful lot of scrutiny that was going on there, particularly from the back benches, um, but also challenging departments um, with um, particularly with the legislation as it travels through, like with, with say for example in DHSC um, the mandate position um, um, with Manx Care. And also um, in LegCo, um, with bills going through in Tim Wald with secondary legislation, um, particularly that needs that attention, and in committees as well as I have done over the course of like you know the last five years. Um, but um, the main one for me would be in bringing in post-legislative scrutiny in legislative council because I think that that's incredibly well needed um, after a two-year period, having a look at legislation to make sure it works in practice. Thanks, Tanya. Peter Reid. I think said before, I think we need to speed up the process of getting legislation into in the House. I think the, there's been a bit of a drought, so that, that's the first thing that I would be trying to encourage. I think the, the second thing is we've got a strategy now. Um, there's lots of stuff on what, but I don't see enough on how. And I'd like to actually understand better what is the how. How are you going to increase the population up to 100,000? How are we going to decarbonise and actually have things that are actions that are in place? Um, you know, we're talking about doubling GDP. Um, you know, the public finance is obviously a big area as well, having just come out of, you know, a really poor time in terms of um, what's been happening in Europe and Russia and everything else. We need some actions now in place to support that strategy. So that's what I would be encouraging. Dawn Kinnish, uh, uh, how would uh, you uh, scrutinise uh, over the first six months? Were you successful? So my key uh, objective to hold executive to account would be to make sure that the Equality Act's um, public sector equality duty, which is mandatory, um, is complied with. And I think the most effective way to hold executive to account would be to introduce that as um, a requirement on the Comin papers and the Treasury papers. Brian Brumby. With my past history with the um, Manx National Farmers Union, uh, I have a history there of representing others, of challenging the government policy and bringing forward alternatives. You can't criticise without bringing alternatives forward as well, because um, otherwise you just become a keyboard warrior in effect. The biggest issue coming forward is increasing revenue to the island, um, the budget deficits, etc. If we don't, if that's not sorted out, services, etc., will, will have to be cut in the future because uh, we are going to run out of money and leave it in a terrible mess for the future. Next is Marie Bertels. Um, if I was to be successful, the first six months, as I see it, would be like any new role. I would be finding out as much as possible about uh, about the role. I'd be questioning, I'd be challenging, I'd be scrutinising, and hopefully I'd be able to get my use my skills. Um, housing's a big thing for me. I've also worked in healthcare. So anything to do with housing, healthcare, um, I'd, I'd really be keen to get involved with and try and use my skills to, um, to make things better. Uh, Kitty first and then Connor. I believe that I could hit the, hit the ground running, actually. Um, I've spent a number of years um, shouting from the sidelines and holding the executive to, the, uh, to account. Um, I've been a prolific emailer and 
pain in the ass, <laughs> and um, and I would continue to do that because I believe that um, the role of the MLC is not just scrutinising legislation, but scrutinising the policies that are coming through. And we've got a island plan now, and now what we need to do is make sure that that is completed and that it's scrutinised. And, you know, I think I've shown with the way that I got into that southern swimming pool and within a month highlighted issues that have been there for donkey's years. And so I believe that I could do that within six months. Kind of Keenan. Thank you. All my answers have been gone now. Taken. <laughs> um, I do in the first six months what I would hope to do in the entire five years, which is critically assess, scrutinise everything which is in there. Obviously, scrutiny of legislation is, is the big aspect of the role, but I think executive scrutiny and scrutiny of the executive is, is a perhaps an underappreciated aspect of the, of the position. Um, linking to some of the points before, I think budget reform would, would be one of the things which I'd like to push forward. Um, obviously, as the second time going through this process, I've, I've followed the Allen plan from its inception through draft stages, through all its various iterations, so I'm, I'm well aware of what government's intentions are what they were, how they've changed, and how they plan to do things in the future. So I feel that actually going through this process a second time would, would allow me to be able to, to give that executive scrutiny um, from a, both a, respect, a retrospective position and also from a, a forward-thinking perspective also. Paul Costain, um, would the island's population benefit from food security? And Dawn Kinnish will be first to tell us whether she thinks we should have a food security strategy on the island. Uh, I, I think we do need to consider uh, improved food security. Um, we, we only have to look at our logistics sometimes and recognise that the shelves can be quite empty. Um, I think looking at the things that are going on with the flour mill and the farmers, um, that needs consideration. Um, and I think in terms of long-term strategy for the farmers, um, food security uh, would improve their position considerably. Brian Brumby, and I, I'm, I'm guessing uh, I might even know what sort of an answer he's going to give. Yeah, up until 12 months ago, globalisation was the theme. Uh, Russia's actions in Ukraine, to my mind, have changed all that. We've got to be more self-sufficient in food and energy. Um, and yet yeah, people have said uh, to me in the past when I've been pushing green energy that uh, it's cheaper buying the gas. Well, all of a sudden it wasn't, and so you've got to look a bit further forward. Um, we have got to maintain on this island the ability to feed ourselves. It could be a different diet to what people have got used to. It wouldn't be pasta, it wouldn't be rice, or it may be pasta if global warming continues, um, but we have got to maintain the ability to feed ourselves. Uh, next, Marie Bertels. Yeah, I think it's definitely something that we need to, to act upon. Um, like being mentioned, we often go to the supermarkets and if the boat hasn't come, then the shelves are empty. Um, I do think we need to promote and support um, farmers and different like um, food producers on the island in order for us to become more self-sufficient and self-sustaining. Next up is Kerry Jenkins. Great question. Thanks for that. <laughs> um, there's two issues, food security. There's the, there's the food security 
for people who want to put meals on their table. And I think it's a national disgrace that we have to have food banks. And then the second food security is the island-wide food security. And that comes down to um, sustainable farming. And, you know, we've, we've looked at sort of globalisation. And what we've got used to is being able to buy tomatoes and peppers out of season. What we're not looking at is local seasonal food. And I'm afraid that, um, you know, if, if we don't get this right, future generations are really going to suffer. Uh, Connor Keenan. Connor, do you think uh, the island would benefit from food security? The, the simple answer is yes. Um, I think obviously, from a, as has been highlighted there, from a sustainability and ecological perspective, uh, there's clear benefit to that. Also from a job security perspective on Ireland, so maintaining that workforce on Ireland. Um, I think it's a dangerous situation for the island to be in, to be reliant on any sort of logistical transport, weather dependent issues. So for me, it's, it's a quite a resounding yes. Diane Kelsey. Thanks, Paul. Of, of course, the answer is yes. We need food security, but there's lots of different ways of getting that. Um, and I think we've got to think as wide, widely as we, widely as we possibly can in that we need to support local produce. We need to support artisan, farmer, artisan producers, but we have to accept that sometimes that comes at cost. And therefore, we also need to be certain that we can sustain our uh, logistics routes so that we can get cheaper product if that's what's needed for people to put food on their tables. So I think it's the whole, uh, the whole thing and there's everything in between. But we should be really proud of what we can produce as an island. You know, our seafood is just super and is used around around the world so so we we should big up what we can do and then understand we have to import what we can't produce paul crane thank you um yes thanks paul for the question yes yeah, a good question um we're never going to have food independence on the isle of man we, we recognize that but food security we could go a long long way towards it you only need to look at the moment where climate change is is um hitting uh, vegetables coming from southern Europe and North Africa and so on and, and the whole of the UK is being affected by this perhaps over the next month you know that as we move further and further into climate change sadly that may be something we see more often and, and perhaps um, more occasions when the boat doesn't run and so on so yes we, we do need to look at this we've got some specific issues on the island so the flower issue and, and where we're going with that and, and the meat plant issue, and then fishing. You know, fishing at the moment attempts to renegotiate the um, of our access to fishing ground following Brexit. But at the moment, our fishing community are not allowed to catch herring in Manx waters. You know, we've we've got to change this. You know, that that needs to open up. Um, and then there's the food miles issue. The more we're produce, producing on island, the better it is, sort of environmentally from the food miles perspective. So yes, food security. Let's let's work on it. Gary Cluett, um, where do you stand on this question? Long before 2050, arable land is going to become the most precious commodity on the planet, even more so than fresh water. The, the grain crops that feed the world grow in a temp narrow temperate zone that is the most impacted by global warming. It is shrinking and there's nothing to replace it. At some point, this is not about whether it's drought in Spain, there are going to be world shortages of food for everybody. I firmly believe that the Isle of Man can be self-sustained with current agricultural methods, whether it's permaculture or hydroponics, etc., um, and that we need to be looking at that. And that 
feeds into when we look at the housing crisis, we do not want to be building houses on land that could be used for agriculture in the future. Next, Tanya August Hansen. Thank you. Um, I have spent um, quite a bit of time down at the food bank actually while I was working on the, the poverty committee in the previous administration and um, as uh, Kiri said earlier on, I do agree that um, use of a food bank um, or need for a food bank is um, very, very much a national disgrace. We really shouldn't be needing to do that. Um, food security is incredibly important, but we also need to recognise the fact that we can't produce everything. Um, we need to be quite realistic about it. Um, as much as we can produce on the Isle of Man, um, we should be supporting producers and also um, understanding, as um, Diane said, that that does actually come at a cost. Thanks, Tanya. And finally, uh, Peter Reid. Yeah, I think the, the food bank is a symptom rather than a cause and I, you know you have to look at why have we got food banks that that's something that needs to be addressed i, I do believe that we do need a, a definitely um a, you know a policy around uh, food but the one thing i would say that the the quality of produce that we have on this island is exceptional and you, you just have to i used to live in shropshire and that's a fantastic place for farming for you know for, for, for meat for, for all sorts of produce here is better. I, I, I personally have been amazed at the quality of food that we have. It's just the quantity. How, how could we become sustainable? And I, I, I'm not sure that we have enough land to be completely sustainable, but we should maximise that to the absolute limit. Well, thank you very much, and thank you to everyone, all the candidates uh, who've answered the questions, all the people who've asked uh, questions. But thanks everybody for coming along. Thanks particularly to Paul uh, Wetherill for organising this uh, evening uh, and the Liberal Venom Party. Uh, also uh, thanks to Matty, uh, Matty Cunningham, the engineer, and uh, the MHKs in the audience. You've got a tough job, I think. That was 10 of the 11 LegCo candidates with just David Crichter unable to attend due to a prior engagement. The first half of the meeting is available as a perspective podcast and interviews with all the candidates are available either as agenda or perspective podcasts. There is no doubt in my mind that there are some really excellent candidates in the LegCo race, but only a handful have any direct experience of Manx politics. Does that matter? I suppose we'll be better placed to answer that in five years' time. Let me know your thoughts and views on the programme by contacting philgorn at manxradio.com and get in touch if you have any ideas for future shows. Don't forget this programme is available as a podcast on Manx Radio's website. For now, though, I'm Phil Gorn. Doramayo. Thanks for listening.